But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed for the Lord and said, O Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it would so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? We're in Jonah 4, as we just heard. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll go into our, our time of study. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you use it to shape us, you use it to um, show us where we need to be more like Christ, and um, you use it to show us more about yourself. There's, there's things that we don't know about you, there's things we don't understand about you, um, which we need to, and so I, I thank you that your word does that for us. I pray, Lord, as we look at um, just how great and merciful you are, that as we, as we look into this aspect of your character, your mercy and your compassion and your steadfast love towards sinners, that um, it would be something that jumps off the page into us and makes us aware of just how great you are and that we would choose to worship you because of it, that we would choose to make changes in our life where we need to according to your mercy. We love you and God, I just pray that you would, <laughs> you would come now. I am completely in need of your spirit to speak through me to change me and let me hear this message, but also my friends here as well, that you would use it to bring us into a deeper walk with you. Holy Spirit, come now in power. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, we're in Jonah 4, and we're ending. And one of the highlights that we're seeing in this book is, and really, uh, the, the whole point of the book is is... Uh, not about Jonah, but it's about God. And one of the things that we're going to see inside of this chapter 4 is that it's not necessarily really about Jonah, but it's also about God. Um, and so as we're looking into chapter 4 and surveying the text here, one of the things that's um, showing me is this. I have a rebellious heart, just a sinful heart, that causes me to feel guilty all the time. Whenever I know that there's something I'm supposed to do and I don't do it, I feel terrible. Whenever um, I'm not supposed to do something I do it, I feel terrible. And inside of me what happens is I want to kind of pay back God. 
I need to say, okay, since I've done this wrong thing, if I do these things right, then God's going to be happy with me. And so what we're going to see in chapter 4 is that God abounds in mercy and that I don't need to pay back God for these things I do wrong. As a matter of fact, He's already done that for me in Christ. And so I need to rest in the mercy. I need to greater understand the mercy and grace of God in my life. And if I do that, I won't be in this little game where I I feel guilty because of things and so I feel like I need to pay back. Instead, I can rest in the mercy that God has shown me. So, um, He's merciful to me in my my failings. He... He's going to show me in this book, or specifically this chapter 4, that it's not, not, even chapter 4 is not really about Jonah, but it's about God and just how merciful he is. And um, the big idea I want you to see is this. The mercy of God is absolutely amazing, and he's displaying it to you in your rebellious heart and in my rebellious heart over and over and over. As much as we feel like we need to do things to earn his right standing, he's showing you I'm, I'm far more merciful than you think. I'm far more merciful than you think. So that's kind of the big idea here of chapter 4 as we're going into it. Um, now, just a little bit of a, of a reminder of what's going on here so we can kind of understand. Remember, in chapter 1, God told Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites, and so he ran the opposite direction. And then as he ran the opposite direction, he headed to Tarshish. Uh, he brought the sailors' lives in jeopardy. And he said, told him just to kill him. And they're like, no, we're going to try to save you. They eventually throw him over. And then God, in his, um, in his mercy, sends a great fish. And it says in 117 that he appointed this fish to, to swallow Jonah. And we think, oh, that's terrible punishment. It was actually redemption or salvation for Jonah because he would have drowned otherwise. And then he spins in chapter 2, um, three days in the belly of this fish. And we see that he goes, undergoes this repentance. And as we see in chapter 2, this is a prayer of repentance for not being on the mission of God. The uh, whale vomits him out onto the dry land. I just had to be able to say vomit every time this, this, this series out of four weeks. So anyway, in chapter 3, um, <laughs> Jonah goes and preaches somewhat of a lackluster sermon, if you will, to the people of Nineveh. And then they get converted, and then it ends in 310. When God saw that the people of Nineveh, of Nineveh, what they did and how they turned from their evil way, he relented of the disaster that he was going to bring to them, of what he said he would do, and he did not do it. And wouldn't it just be, make the most sense? It would be the most Hollywood ending, like credits, end of the story. That's the way the story should end. One through three. Jonah finally did what he was supposed to do. God saved Nineveh. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God, it's all over. But that, that's not what happens, right? We have this bizarre chapter 4 that's tacked on where it just automatically... But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. You're like, Jonah, what the world? The story was over. Why didn't you just be happy? And we could have just had three chapters. And it wouldn't be all weird. And it ends with a question mark. And he's talking about cattle. Like, what the world's going on, Jonah? You made me get confused because you're all acting weird. All right, so... Jonah did this, and and God sovereignly knew it was going to happen, and the Holy Spirit led Jonah as he wrote this book to put in chapter 4 for our benefit. And so there's something that we need to learn, and there's something we're going to see in the life of Jonah, which is Jonah had still huge places that that he needed to repent of. He had some wicked places in his heart that still needed to be exposed, that though the whale we thought was going to expose it, the fish, whatever, um, was going to expose it, it didn't. And now God's going to use something else. He's going to appoint something else. And we'll see those three things that he appoints in chapter 4. Because the mercy of God and the understanding of Jonah of the mercy of God had not been fully understood. And so, therefore, we have chapter 4. 
And so chapter 4 is about God's mercy. Specifically in the life of Jonah, completely applicable in our lives as well. So we're going to see four highlights of God's amazing mercy in chapter 4, um, in the life of Jonah, and then in the Ninevites, and then, of course, how these four amazing highlights apply to us. So, here we go. But it displeased Jonah, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, um, you see already, and it actually comes forth for us finally in the English. Sometimes we miss things, and we're gonna, I'm going to show you something we miss. But in, in verse 1, it comes forth for us, and Jonah's trying to contrast something for us from verse 1 to verse 6. We see in verse 4, it exceedingly displeased Jonah. We see in verse 6 that he is exceedingly glad. So there's a contrast in verse 1 and verse 6. I'm going to get to the contrast soon, but we want to make sure you're seeing that he's exceedingly displeased with the salvation. And it says... It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What's the it? What is it that he's very displeased about? Well, we know from the context of chapter 3, the it is the salvation of the Ninevites. They repented and came to Christ, and Jonah, it just launches into this this prayer, and it, it very much exceedingly displeased Jonah that God saved them. And so, I mean, I'm already thinking... What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> like, I don't understand why you're displeased. You knew that this was going to happen. And then you're, you're just, I, ah, I can't believe you did it, God. I knew you were going to do it. It's like this kind of scenario. Salvation of maybe 120,000 people. We see that in verse 11 of 4. That's probably somewhere 120,000. This is like a preacher's dream. You get to preach an, an eight-word sermon and 120,000 converts happen? This is like a dream for us. And you're over here throwing a fit. What the world's wrong with you? And so I'm, I'm still a little bit bewildered by Jonah. But again, if it would have ended at chapter 3, things were great. We go into this chapter 4 and this amazing enigma, this mystery is created for us of this insane Jonah. But he's got things he has to learn. As I said, there's, there's more things that he needs to repent of. And so it displeased him exceedingly, and he was angry. There it is. His heart's exposed. His, his wicked heart's exposed that we thought in, in chapter 2 he had repented fully, but he hadn't. Therefore, now we have chapter 4. So we can see even more means by which God's going to lead him to repentance. The whale, the fish, wasn't enough. So we have to have chapter 4. And then it says this. Um, and this is, in, in, in chapter 4, this is the only good thing Jonah does or says. You ready? It's the first couple words. And he prayed. Done. Like, that's it. There's nothing else he does good. Everything else is awful. Everything he says is pretty much, he says a great truth, but he says it with a selfish intent. Like, we're done with Jonah doing good things. He just, there it was. And he prayed. And which is a good little application for us. All right? In, in any kind of life scenario... Um, if you are wickedly rebellious towards God or things are going good, if, if things are compounding upon you that you are totally unhappy with about God, there is one good application in the life of Jonah in chapter 4, which is talk to God. He's, he's a big guy. He can handle your, your pout session where you say, I'm mad that it didn't go my way. Well, that's the only good thing Jonah did is that whenever he wasn't happy, he prayed. Now that we can see the rest of it is just an incredibly self-centered prayer. But he did pray. He didn't just march off and say, I'm taking my ball and going home, God. You didn't do it. Like he does go to him and actually prays. Um, so he prayed to him. And then he says, um, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste or 
quickly ran to flee from Tarshish. So if there was any idea from chapter 1 why in the world Jonah fled, he gives it all away for us in 4. He was incredibly selfish. He didn't want to see them get saved. I fled to Tarshish. And then it says this. And if you underline in your Bible, this little part of verse 2 is a good little thing to underline. This is an amazing truth about God. And this is where we're getting the whole context of my big idea that this is about the mercy of God. Right here from chapter 2, I'm sorry, from verse 2. The big idea about God's amazing mercy being given to us over and over is right here. It says this. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Some of you need to hear that. You are, you are in a cycle of guilt you are doubting whether God can save your, your crazy uncle that just cusses in Jesus' face or sister or roommate that you know, comes in at three in the morning. Or you're completely doubting this. You need to hear this, that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. Some of you think that people can't be saved by God because they're so crazy. He abounds in mercy. He abounds in mercy. God loves to save sinners. We see it in chapter 3. That's the first thing, the first highlight of the mercy of God is this. In verse, we see it in verses 1 and 2. And really, the context of chapter 3 is that God is gracious and abounds in mercy and loves to save sinners. He loves to save sinners. As a matter of fact, um, in Second Peter, it says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God loves to save sinners. He loves to extend mercy to them. So let's take this as a little application point for us. God loves to save the people around you that are lost and around me. He loves to save them. So what does that mean for our life? Whenever we think, oh, that guy's just, that girl's just, she's, she's too far gone. We serve a pretty big God. And if we can get in context and get a great understanding here of verse 2, he is amazingly gracious and merciful and slow to anger, and he abounds in steadfast love, that if we would tell them the gospel, God could use that gospel to penetrate down into their heart of stone, and he loves to save them, and that they could get saved. We need to believe that deeply in order to carry out the mission. God loves to save sinners. Now, it says this also in verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord, which is just begging us, pushing us. It's, it's telling us, you've got to go compare this prayer in chapter 4 with the prayer in chapter 2. In chapter, in chapter 4, God, Jonah is angry about the forgiveness that Nineveh got. In chapter 2, Jonah is thankful for the forgiveness he got. There's a big contrast to the two prayers. Prayer 2, I mean prayer 1 in chapter 2, Jonah's just as thankful as he can be. Thank you God for saving me. Oh, I'm so glad that God you would save me. I am so... And then chapter 4, God, I can't believe you saved them. What the world? So we can see this major contrast. And again, highlighting for us the wicked selfishness of Jonah. Just unbelievable selfishness of Jonah, which is a theme as we go through chapter 4. But again, the, the selfishness of Jonah is not the theme of chapter 4. The mercy of God is the theme of chapter 4. 
All right, so that's the first thing. Now we go into um, chapter three, where you know over dramatic, over dramatic Jonah launches into this. <laughs> he's going to have two more. He's already had one in uh, chapter one, verse fourteen. You know the, the kill me now session. He's going to have two more in just this chapter alone. And this is what he says: Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It, it's better for me to die right now than to live. God, you ki- you saved all the Ninevites. I knew that you were going to do it. That's why I ran. You did it anyway. Just kill me. Like, he is such a baby. Such a baby. And then it says, And the Lord said to him, And the Lord said to him, Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? So, um, essentially what he's saying to him is, Jonah, are you sure that your reaction is the right reaction? (laughs) I just saved 120,000 people, and you're saying... Kill me. Are you sure that that's the right reaction? I mean, again, that's a lot of mercy right there. He could just say, Jonah, you're a moron. What the world's wrong with you? But he's even asking him, are you sure this is the right reaction, Jonah? Just kill me? That's, are you sure? And so he says, do you do well to be angry? Now, he's going to ask him that again in one nine, and Jonah's going to answer him. But here it says this. Jonah went out of the city. We're going to see a second highlight of God's mercy as we continue on um, through verse 6, from 3 verses 6. So Jonah's freaking out. He's throwing his little pity session. He goes out to 5. Jonah went out to the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself. He set up a little tailgate party. Only he's invited. And he sat under the shade till he could see what would become of the city. So he's thinking Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're not familiar with that story, that's where you know they get out of the city, and God just rains down hell and just... And brimstone just kills everybody. And so Jonah's thinking, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah is about to happen. I'm going to get out and just see what happens. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking, Jonah? You just saw them all repent. Why do you think that's going to happen? But anyway, so he he went out to the east of the city to see what's going to become. And now, look at this. Um, Now the Lord God appointed. All right, this is the second time it uses appointed. We saw it in 117 that a God appointed a fish. And now we're going to see it right here in 4.6, 4.7, and 4.8. Three appointments. All right, he's going to appoint right here a plant in 4.6. In 4.7, he's going to appoint a worm. And in 4.7, he's going to appoint a scorching east wind. Four appointments in all. One is an appointment of discipline. The first one is a whale. The second one is an appointment of mercy. That's the plant. And the, sec- the third and fourth one, the appointment of the worm and the appointment of the scorching east wind, more discipline. So there's one in the middle that's not discipline, but mercy. Discipline with the whale, mercy with the plant, and then again, discipline again with the worm and the, and the wind. We're going to talk about that in a second, about the one being merciful and not disciplined. But this is what he says in four six. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant. Um, this plant, more than likely, if you have an ESV, you can just shoot down and you can see that there's a, there's a castor oil plant. Um, Hebrew is kikayon. Um, and then, you know, all big shocker here, all the reformed commentators that I read this week are like, the ESV's got the right translation. It's a castor oil plant. Um, that's a big surprise. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, you're actually more fortunate that I know that nerdy stuff that you don't. Anyway, um, anyway, back to the point here. Um, he appointed a plant, and one commentator even said, since it's called Kikayon, he actually said that maybe Jonah nicknamed his Kikayon Kiki, and he loved his little plant. He's out there chilling by himself with his, his little plant he loves. Anyway. Um, I thought that was kind of bizarre. And it says that now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. All right, so here, this is amazing mercy, right? 
Amazing mercy. Here's the second thing I want you to see here. Is that God is merciful to us in our rebellion to Him. God is merciful to us in our rebellion to Him. Jonah is clearly being selfish. He prays this big selfish prayer. Runs out and he says, I'm going to go see them get killed. I'm going to set up my little booth here, my press box, and just watch and wait. Nothing happens. And what does God do? He, he knows it's going to be hot out there for Jonah. And so instead of leaving him out there just to burn up and be hot, like he's already wickedly rebellion from God. And God said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to appoint a plant to come up over and cover him and make him more comfortable. That's, that's amazing mercy. Because he is not, Jonah's not having his finest moment right now, by any means. And he's getting this kind of mercy. This is the equivalent of, I was trying to think of a modern day equivalent, is um, if you have young children or you have had young children, you're going you're gonna to understand this completely. Um, let's say you have young children and they rebel against you. They, they don't want to eat their broccoli and they want their ice cream or they don't get their toy or they don't get to color their thing. And you're like, no, we've got to stop. We've got to do that. Let's go. It's all over. And then they just throw this wicked fit in your house and they go crazy and they walk outside and they stomp and they put their camping chair in their front yard and they say, I'm not coming back inside until you change your way. I'm going to sit right here. And you're like... All right, well, I would say, fine, stay out there and burn up then. It's 100 degrees. Not anymore, but it was. And, but this is like God saying, oh, okay. Um, we could say, well, I don't want you to be hot, so I'm going to set up this big umbrella for you in the, front, in the front lawn so you don't get hot. And let me know when you're coming in. And then you walk. This is kind of the equivalent of God being the parent that says, well, I don't want you to be hot out there, so I'm going to set up a, a shade of umbrella for you too, just so you're not uncomfortable. It says literally that he put this over his head to be a shade to save him from his discomfort. To save him from his discomfort. Now, you see that word discomfort, and if you're in the ESV, it's got a little two, and you can shoot down and see the note. And this is key. I think this is actually really amazing, something that we need to see. Because this word discomfort, um, it's, it's coming forward as discomfort, but we can see it also, your little note probably says, or his evil. And that's a good translation. I mean, that's a good... That's a pretty accurate. Discomfort is right, but so is this evil because there's, there's something I want you to see here. That same word in the Hebrew, discomfort, is used a couple other times throughout this, this book. And I want you to see them. The first place it's used is in 1-2. In 1-2, when it's, God is talking about the city of Nineveh, it says that arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil. Or you can see in there, disaster. They're evil and they're disastrous. So when talking about Nineveh, it's saying, it uses this Hebrew word and it says, evil, disaster. This is the same word, discomfort, in 4.6. And then it says that again in 3.10, if you shoot down over to 3.10, it said, when God saw what they had done, had they turned from their evil way. That's the same word as 1.2 and over here in 4.6 where it's translated as discomfort. So what we could see in a way this, this could carry out for us in 4.6 is this. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for him over his head to save him from his wicked, evil way. He's, his wicked, evil way. But we would all agree, it's evil, it's wrong, it's a sin for Jonah to be out here just waiting for the destruction of the city which he just preached. And God's saying, I'm going to put a plant over here to shade you and make you comfortable while you're sitting out here in your sin. That's, that's pretty merciful. Now, 
this plant is the only one that's an appointment of mercy. The, the fish and the worm and the wind are appointments of, of discipline. But this appointment in 4.6 is an appointment of mercy. And here's why. God is putting this over him as he's in sin. He's covering him and making him comfortable with a plant. So this plant has clear gospel overtones. It's the only appointment of mercy. Like Jesus is for us, our mercy. He's gone and put himself on the cross. And so this plant is a, is a gospel overtone. Just like the plant goes and covers Jonah in his sin, the cross has covered us in, his, in our sin. So the plant, the only appointment of mercy that's in this, has gospel overtones. Just like the plant covers Jonah in his, mercy, in, in his sin, the cross for us covers. And here's the deal. And it says this. And he was exceedingly glad. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, we can't push the metaphor too far. But this should be our response in light of the cross. We, we see that the, the plant does become an idol for Jonah later in this chapter as well. So we can't push the metaphor too far. Because we don't want to say that Jesus is our idol because... You actually can worship Jesus. But this is a right response for us. Like, this is a right response. The covering that we get in Christ should make us exceedingly glad. There's a lot of gospel overtones in this. And we see the second thing is that God is, um, God is merciful to us and our rebellion to Him. We all, we kind of make fun of our children who storm out the side in the yard and sit in their camping chair. But every one of us storms outside into our front yard and sits in our camping chair and says, God, I want my way. And he's merciful to you. In the cross, those wicked, rebellious moments are covered by the cross. He's merciful to us. I think that this is a message we all need to hear and be reminded just how merciful God is. That's why chapter 4 has been written for us. So, he's exceedingly glad. Now, this exceedingly glad is in stark contrast to verse 1, which we need to see. Verse 1, he's exceedingly displeased that people get saved. In verse 6, he's exceedingly glad that a plant was there. <laughs> like, come on. That's just not what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be, you know, you can be exceedingly glad for the plant, Jonah, but you're supposed to be exceedingly glad that people got saved. They're far more important than plants that give you shade. And that's really the main idea that he wants us to see as well. Is that, yes, you should be happy that God gives you provision. But you should also be extremely happy, overjoyed, that the people of Nineveh, who have eternal destinies and will perish outside of a knowledge of God, we should be extremely happy that they will not be punished eternally, but will get to be in heaven with God forgiven. We should have hearts for everyone. And I don't know if, you know, maybe you experienced this. Like, God, I'm fine with them getting saved and them getting saved. But that person right there, I'm just not fine with it. That's not okay. No matter who they are. Whoever the Ninevites are in your, in your life. You should desperately desire their salvation. And you should want them to be saved. You shouldn't have an idol over people. What's, what, what's your plant? What's your thing that you love more than the salvation of other people. Comfort. Stuff. Your job. Your family. Your children. 
We can idolize so many things. All of us have this plant that we're exceedingly glad for. And those are good gifts. I'm not saying, like, throw that away. I'm saying, enjoy that. But don't make it an idol. The mission of God is, is, is very important. Like, He wants you to have a heart to see people get saved. And now we roll into um, where we're going to see God discipline Jonah in verses um, 7 and 8. And this is what happens. Jonah is living high. I mean, he is fallen. He's, he's, he's more than likely tired. God gave him this, this plant to give him some rest. And so we see here that God was very, very gracious to provide Jonah a plant to have some rest. He needed the rest. However, he doesn't just need the rest. Rest without repentance is not adequate. Rest with repentance is what God is shooting for. And so that's what in verses 7 and 8 we're going to see here, that God is shooting towards repentance. Look at 7 and 8. It says this, um, So, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. And it said that, that attacked the plant, so it withered. So Jonah falls asleep, he wakes up, and he's like, Oh, my plant, oh, Kiki, where... Oh no, where is it? It's gone. No more person to have conversation with. The worm ate it. Um, and it's all gone. And then, not just he only appoint a worm to destroy it, he also has a second appointment, God does. It says in verse 8, Then the sun arose, and God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So two um, appointments of God's discipline come on Jonah. One's with the worm to take away the plant that he only got to have a 24-hour lifespan. Oh, Kiki. And then he sends this scorching east wind, which beats down. And I just kind of picture Jonah with a bald head here. But he, he, pictured, he scorches down on, on the head of Jonah so that he becomes faint. So here's the deal. God's design in the appointment of the worm and the east wind is to drive out every single vestige of the pharisaical spirit that's inside of Jonah. He needs to drive out this pharisaical, self-righteous spirit that Jonah has. Every single vestige that's in his heart. This is the point of repentance. He must develop a heart of grace towards people. And so we're thinking, wait a second, Fudd. All right, let me take a step back. Because mercy from God is supposed to be awesome. <laughs> Like, I thought that's the definition of mercy, is it feels awesome. And I'm thinking that when my worm and wind come into my life, and this judgment or discipline of God comes into my life, it doesn't feel so awesome. So how is it that if chapter 4 is about mercy, and all of a sudden you're saying, God sends the worm and wind to destroy everything, to lead him to repentance, to show these vestiges in his heart where he's wickedly sinful, that doesn't feel so awesome. As a matter of fact, that's pretty painful. Why is that merciful? Point 3. Here's point 3. God is merciful to show us places we have to, where we need to repent. As a matter of fact, it's uh, Romans, I think it's 2.4, says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We've said this last week. Repentance is not supposed to be some fun, awesome thing. It's the vomit of the soul. It's painful. It involves every part of your life. As you're going through it, it hurts very much. It involves everything. But when it's finally over and you've gone through it, you're like, oh, thank goodness it's over. And I don't want to do that again. Repentance is not supposed to be fun. But it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. So why is it awesome? Because it feels painful. Because afterwards, Hebrews 12, whenever we receive the discipline of God, He disciplines us for our holiness. When we're disciplined, we become more like Him. 
So, the third thing we see that highlights the mercy of God in this chapter is that He is going to keep showing you places in your life that you need to repent. That's why Jonah was brought out here. Jonah was brought out on the east side of um, Nineveh because there's still places in his life that he needs to repent. The mercy of God is shown in a very different way here, making him faint and creating a situation where he's going to see God's mercy for him so that he will now be more of a merciful person towards other people. And he's got to repent of that. He has to. Stepping into your life, where does that apply? Where are the places right now that you know God is disciplining you? You know that he's pushing in, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's coming into your life and he's saying, the kindness of the Holy Spirit is coming in and he's showing you places that need to repent. You've got places that you don't want to give over to God. And it's his mercy that's going to make you more like him and it's going to be painful. Where are those places in your life? What's the plant in your life that's an idol? And then he says this at the end of verse 8. <laughs> the sun beat down on the head of Jonah that he was faint. And then he says it again. And he asked that he might die. <laughs> and said, it's better for me to die than to live. God, this is time number three that Jonah has asked to die. One fourteen, four three, and now four eight. Kill me, God. I just want to die. The first time he wanted to die because he didn't want to see the Ninevites turn to repentance. And now that they have, 4, 3, and 4, 8, he wants to die because the Ninevites turn to repentance. Furthermore, um, he wants to die because I'm just looking at it here and I'm thinking, he's got nowhere to go. He's got nowhere to go. He doesn't care about the Ninevites, so he's not going to go to minister to them. He's... Um, doesn't want to go run again because he's going to get swallowed by a whale and be vomited out like a little bleached lily white deal. So he's thinking, okay, well, the only other place I can go is back to the Israelites. That's not going to be a warm reception. Hey, guess what, guys? You know the people that we hate? God used me to preach repentance to them. They're all followers of God now. Isn't that awesome? No. We're going to take a, a, a sword now and stab it in your chest, Jonah, because we're not happy that you just led all of our enemies to repentance. He's got nowhere to go. And so all he thinks is, okay, no one's going to like me. I've got nothing else. I've got no place to go. God, just kill me. Like, I'm ready to die. There's no place to go. That's what's going on in the life of Jonah right here. And then it says this. <laughs> God extending mercy in this question. Same kind of question, do you do well to be angry? It says in verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant, Jonah? Are you sure <laughs> that the response you're having, this temper tantrum that you're throwing, is the right response? Sinclair Ferguson um, describes Jonah's uh, reaction right here as spiritual infantile regression. Spiritual infantile regression. Like he was doing pretty well. And all of a sudden he regressed to like a little baby again. He's off in the corner throwing a little temper tantrum. And he's like, are you sure, Jonah? That you're having, having the right reaction to this. And then Jonah <laughs> says, Oh yes, God, I am. You're right. No, he doesn't say that at all. Look what he says. Um, 
Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. <laughs> you can, have you ever heard like your five-year-old say that to you? If you've been around, I am having the right response, Daddy. Like, this is, this is unbelievable. Spiritual, infantile regression. Yes, I'm having the right response. Coming out here and wanting to see them die and be happy for a plant is the right response in light of those Ninevites getting saved. I care more about plants than people. That's clearly not the right reaction. Um, Jonah is really, really stubborn. Perhaps you know somebody stubborn that you need to extend mercy to. And you shouldn't be thinking about the person who lives in your house. If they're your spouse, they're not stubborn. More than likely it's you. Unless it's your kid. They're definitely, definitely stubborn. Um, and so it's, we see this and he goes, Yes, I do do well to be angry. I'm angry enough to die. And now we're going to end... We're going to end all of the book with 10 and 11. Now, here's the deal. 10 and 11, everything in the story, everything in the narrative, everything in the book of Jonah leads up to 10 and 11. This is the pinnacle moment. Now, 2 was good. 2 was very good. God abounds in mercy. But this is where God himself is going to verbally speak to Jonah in verses 10 and 11. And this is the pinnacle thing. If there is a huge takeaway, it's, I need to read verses 10 and 11. This is the massive takeaway of the entire book. So we would do well to pay attention to verses 10 and 11. These are words from God and we should absolutely listen. Because everything is leading up to this. Here's the fourth thing before we do it. God is merciful and patient with us in our stubbornness. If we're going to be this stubborn, we need to remember. God is merciful. What, what, a, what an amazing God. That when our hearts are this stubborn, he's merciful. And this is what he says. Jonah gave him his ridiculous answer. Yes, I'm right. (laughs) And the Lord said, you pity the plant. This word pity, it's in 10 and it's in 11. This word pity is um, emotionally distraught. It's, It's emotionally distraught. You pity the plant. For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. He's saying, um, Jonah, I made that plant grow. And I made that plant die. It had a 24 lifespan. And you are emotionally distraught for something that I created, the plant. You care tons about it. And he's going to contrast that with verse 11. He says, and should um, not I pity Nineveh, whom I've created. I've created the plant, and you pity them. I've also created these people who are far more important than them. And you pity a plant, the people that I've created, and you did nothing. I pity the people who are far more um, important, and these are the right people. That This is the right thing we should pity. You should care more about them than this plant. You care about the plant. And he says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are 120,000 persons? That is a lot of people. That's more, that's more than our city. That's more than this city. 120,000 people. Jonah, 120,000 souls going to hell is, is painstakingly um, more important than a plant that lasted 24 hours. And you know what, Jonah? You didn't do either one. You didn't make that plant grow. It was a gift, and you care more about it. And then it says this. Persons who do not know their right hand from their left. And that just means terribly lost sinners 
I mean, just lost sinners. There's, we don't encounter too many of those, really, in America, especially in the Bible Belt. I'm just wickedly horrible lost sinners. Generally, it's the Pharisees. It's the, you know, do the right thing because that's the rules kind of people. But sometimes we see them. And he's saying, we are supposed to have compassion for them. Don't love the plant that lived one day, Jonah. Instead, love the 120 souls of which have eternal destinies at stake. The plant's life is 24 hours. These people's life is eternal. We're supposed to pity them more because they matter more. They don't know their right hand from their left. We are supposed to them love them as deep as we can. And then it ends, and also much cattle. <laughs> Why does it say that? That's so odd. Why does he say, and the cattle? Is God, like, really an animal rights activist? Um, I think God does care about animals. God does love animals, except for cats. God, cats go to hell. There's no question about that. But the rest of animals, they go to, I'm just kidding. All right, all right, whatever. So here's the deal. That's not the point at all that God hates cats, although I do believe that. But that, uh, no, I don't. But anyway, the point is not, and also much cattle. Why, why is he saying um, people and cattle. Like, that's a weird little scenario where he says, God wants people to be saved and cattle. Why is he doing that? Um, people, generally when we think about salvation and the rescuing of us, we usually think God is rescuing people. God is rescuing people. He's constantly rescuing people. And we, we have that narrow... And it's not tremendously terrible, but we, we generally think the rescue... Of, of the people here is, is all that's going on. And the salvation or the rescue is not just people. They are without a doubt, as Genesis 1 says, the, cr- the crowning pinnacle of all creation. They're the only things that have the image of God. And so God is rescuing and saving. But also we know from, Ge- from um, Genesis 1 that God didn't just create people, but he had a whole lot of other things that were created in those first six days. And then Romans 8 tells us that all of creation is groaning, waiting for redemption. And so when he's saying people and cattle, he's letting us know that this rescue, this amazing salvation that's happening to the people, the pinnacle, but it's also happening to all of creation. So he's saying cattle in there to just give us a reminder that I've not just created people, but I've created a ton of things. And this amazing rescue, this all-encompassing rescue is what God is doing for all of creation in the gospel. Absolutely people who are the most important thing. But the gospel is that God is, God is redeeming everything in creation back to himself. That's why it says, even the rocks will cry out and worship if we don't. God is redeeming all of creation. Even the cattle. And even the cats. In some sense. But definitely, God is saving man. Because we are his crowning um, piece of uh, creation. We are the ones that are created with souls. We are the ones that are created in his image. And so he's saying, don't have a plant idol. Care about people more. So, it's the only book that ends in a question mark, and it leaves us saying, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And it's supposed to say, like, Jonah's response. Like, Jonah, why didn't you write where you're supposed to say, Oh, you're right, God. (laughs) I am supposed to. I'm going to change and turn. The end. It doesn't do that. It leaves us hanging. Which is frustrating. You know, like it leaves us with the question, what the world happened to Jonah? <laughs> like what the world? And that's the point. 
you're supposed to be left asking the question, what the world happened to Jonah? If you didn't ask that question, you didn't read it right. That's the point. Because while this book is absolutely, completely historical narrative, as in, this is a real person that really lived, and this is a real story that's being told, the book of Jonah is also a parable. It's a story that we're to learn from. The parables in the New Testament are written so that after we get to them, we're supposed to ask, so what the world happens, oh, I'm supposed to do a little self-reflection here. Jonah is a parable that when we look at it, we're supposed to not just, it's forcing us to not just think on this person, Jonah, but forcing us to do a little self-inventory and personal reflection on ourselves. That's the point of it ending in a question mark. You're supposed to say, what the world happened to Jonah, so that you can say, there is no conclusion. It's not here. Therefore, in simple parable form, I write the conclusion with my life. You write the conclusion with your life. How are you going to write the conclusion to this story? You are Jonah and I am Jonah. And the amazing mercy of God is being put on us to have a heart for people to be saved. How are you going to write that story? There is no person in the world whose patience and forbearance is greater towards you than God. No person in the world who's more patient with you than God. So how are we going to finish this story? That's the point of it in a question mark. We're supposed to write the conclusion with our own lives. And we need the mercy of God to write this story. This is the moment now for you to start writing the story with your own life. And you finish the book of Jonah. May God have mercy on us all to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we're completely aware that we need your patience and we need your mercy. So as we write this story with our own lives, reveal to us right now as we go into a time of response what might be the idols of our heart? What might be the plants that we hold on to? What are the things that are keeping us? Do we care more about items in our garden, our contents in our garage, and our own comforts and plans more than making disciples? If you are concerned about sinners being saved, there's no way that we can remain unconcerned. If you, who are God, are concerned about sinners, how is it that it's possible, since we're your creation and saved by you, that we could be unconcerned? It, it's not possible. We can't be simply unconcerned. So reveal to us our idols that keep us from wanting to fall headlong into your mercy. Ask for forgiveness and repentance of the things that are in our life. And start making disciples. And write the conclusion to this story with our own lives. Be with us now as we go into our time of response. Or some of us maybe just need to sit and pray and think and repent. And then stand and give you the glory. Sing out to you with all of our lives as we worship through song. And then leave ready to worship you with our lives. I pray that we all would be led by the Spirit right now, God. Send your Spirit mightily. And as you lead us, may we respond appropriately according to your Spirit.
Have mercy on us, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.